order of them that diligently seek him. If, if you have a hard time grasping this, I challenge you that you're probably not reading the promises that he's left us and that he's talked about this and that he's explained it over and over in his book. You know, sometimes we, we miss the point. We buy, a, we buy something and there's an operator's or, a, or a, a manual to tell you how to operate this thing and you just kind of lay the manual aside and you say, well, I think I can figure this out. And you run into snags here and there and, and you didn't consult the manual written by the man that made the machine. And so you go back and you study the manual and it gives you a lot of faith in this machine because it says here, if you do this and this and then this will work, okay? We understand that. That's a simple concept that the manual goes with the equipment. Well, it's kind of like that with faith in God and God has left us his word and he explains how these things work. And if it's not working, maybe we, we miss reading the manual. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. <clears throat> we know that it is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Then in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So, if we don't have a hold of Jesus, we're certainly not going to have a hold of, uh, we're not going to have a balanced faith because faith comes in knowing the truth about Jesus Christ and why he came and the problem that we had before he came and the problem that man was, was disconnected from an almighty God by sin and Jesus came to pay that penalty so that we can be free. Well, if we don't understand those basic concepts, uh, it's going to be hard for us to really grasp the full reality of faith. <clears throat> I'm going to turn to 2 Corinthians here. There's, I found a really kind of a um, unique thing that I had not noticed before. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse eight. And here Paul is saying, Second Corinthians chapter four, verse eight, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith. I never noticed that before. We can have that same spirit of faith. According it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. And dear brothers and sisters, if you are lacking in faith, maybe it's just because you're not talking about it. 
You ever never notice if you if you halfway doubt something yourself, you can start telling somebody else about it and just start talking and you'll convince yourself about that issue. It works in many other areas and it works with faith. If you start expounding faith to someone else, it bolsters your faith in ways that you've never imagined. I mean, those of us that have stepped inside of a prison to go evangelize in a prison or to, to go help those people and you, and you get up against some hard walls and you start expounding and trying to convince this dear person that, that, that he can have faith in the Almighty God and, and that his sins can be forgiven and, and you just start filling up with it. You ever notice that? And, and Paul says this, he says, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, but the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many rebound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. While we look not on the things which are seen, but on things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's the kind of faith that I'm, I'm talking about. That we can believe those things that are eternal. there's many other examples of faith in the Old Testament, especially, and you touched on some of those this morning. I'd just like to repeat that, that issue with Rahab, the most unlikely person to have faith in God, the most unlikely person to salvage out of that whole city was the harlot Rahab. And somehow she is listed in in Hebrews 11 as one of those that had great faith. It's not because of her past. It's not because of her actions. It's not because of her occupation. It was because that she believed that there was a living God that would deliver them if they could only but get a hold of him. And she admitted to the spies that we are all scared to death of you Israelites. <laughs> we know, we, we've heard what has happened. We're done for. I think she was ready for answers for life. And somehow, by putting that scarlet cord out the window, she had faith that somehow that these men of God would save her and her household, and they did. The harlot, Rahab, had faith. Listen, if a harlot can have faith, saving faith that saved her life and her family, we can have faith. Just think about that. The mercy of God that saved her life and God's people that saved her alive out of all that rubble and all that 
I've always marveled how in the world must be God was in on this thing because when the city wall fell and she lived in the city wall, apparently her house didn't destroy them that were in it. She was in her house in the, built into the city wall when the wall went down and she got saved out of that. So not only did, did, the, uh, did the children of Israel see the cord in the window and go in there and salvage her, but I think God's hand was upon that part of the wall so that his people's promise to this harlot and her family, I just marvel over that. The goodness of God. And it just proved again to me as I read over that account that God's grace is for everyone that believes. That can get up just enough courage to have faith like the harlot Rahab. So if we're lacking in faith, it's not because that it's it's not lacking on God's part. And it's not lacking on the grace part, it's lacking on our part. <clears throat> We also, <clears throat> we're challenged with the many others there. Caleb is another one that just inspires me. This man's 85 years old, and it's time to divide the land and the inheritance for the land. And he says, you know what? I'm as strong as I was when I was 40. I know I'm 85. But give me the hard part. Give me the mountain with the big giants in it. Give me the, get, let the others have the easy part. I'll take the hard part. And I know that God will help me drive them out. I can drive them out if God is with me at 85 years old. When we hit 85, we're, we're apt to say, oh, give me the easy part, you know. Let the young guys have the tough stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm wore out. Not only did he have faith in God, that God would help him, but I think he was a diligent person that that stayed active. Somehow, I just don't believe uh, Caleb was a couch potato and 80 pounds overweight at 85 when he said that. I just somehow... I seem to think that he was also diligent about some other things in life, and therefore he was able to say, I'll take the hard part. Give it to me. I'll take it. That's some beautiful scenery up there. I'd like to live up there. I could look all down over the plain. If I could just, yeah, I'll take that. God's helped me this far, and I think I can make it. Yeah, if God helps me, I've got faith in God, and I, I've, I'll take that. If so be, the Lord will be with me. Then shall I be able to drive them out as the Lord said. That's his very words. The Lord is with me. And he knew that he was. Enoch is another one that has always kind of inspired me. In Genesis chapter 5 there, it talks about And in verse 24, it says, Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. It's a mystery. 
somehow this man that walked with God for 300 and some years had faith in God, he walked with God, he apparently there was something special about this man somehow, but God just came down and got him. I don't, I can't explain that. But the Bible says that he was not, for God took him. That'd be a wonderful way to go, brothers, but it's not happened much since. But it did for him. And I think it did because of his faith in God and his close connection with the God of heaven. Brothers and sisters, let let us not let our faith waver as we hit 2021. And the results of the election come through and we another president takes his takes place and all of those things and all of the turmoil and everything that's going on in Congress and in Washington. You know, it's good to, it's okay to look at the news and know what in the world's going on, but I tell you, it destroys our faith, brothers and sisters. It does. It takes away our faith. I'm challenged myself, and I just want to challenge you. How many times do you wake up in the morning and flip on your phone while you... Uh, Brush your teeth to see what has happened. You ever hear the the phrase, thrown before phone? Somebody said that one time, I'm not sure, but it was a challenge that they need to seek the throne of God before they consult their phone in the morning. And I can't say that I've always done that, but I want to do that. It increases our faith to do that. It destroys our, it's hard on our faith if we all we see is just the stuff that happened. Try to figure out who bombed the AT&T building in Nashville on Christmas morning. Who was this guy and what happened and all and on. I didn't have to know that except that when my mother is on, has a Verizon home phone, and I was afraid that her, her, they said, someone told us that the uh, cell phone service got knocked out in southern Kentucky because of this bombing at the AT&T building. And so the other morning I had a quick look and, you know, see, uh, see who got, you know, how bad this was. And Anyway. <clears throat> but we should make a habit to seek the face of God before we seek the face of our phones, dear brothers and sisters, if we want faith in God. Our faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is what will carry us through, not CNN News and not CBS and not Fox News and all of that stuff. Some of that I'm not even sure if we should see it because half of it's not true. But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our God, is the one that made the universe. The great I am that is in control, we can have faith in him. The pandemic, the election, the bombing in Nashville, none of that took him by surprise. He knew it before it ever happened. That's our God. And we can have faith in him. The next thing that is under attack and that we need to really, really, really have a hold of is our families. It is God's will 
that we pass on our godly values to the oncoming generation, dear brothers and sisters. It is God's will, has been God's will from the beginning of time. It was God's will. In Genesis, we read that it was, that it was one of the key purposes that God, for God to, to create the human race was to have families. God made a wife for Adam and told him to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Family is God's design. Family is God's plan. Family is God's idea. And it's an important idea. Our families are extremely important to you and to God. But most of all, they are important because it is through your family and my family that we pass on our values for the oncoming generations. Think about it, how, how quickly one generation passes and the next one comes and takes its place and then there's another one. I faintly remember, just faintly can I remember my great-grandparents. but They're gone from the scene for many years already. And my grandparents, I faintly remember. I can, I can remember them better. I remember a lot of things about some of my grandparents, but not all of them. And now my own father, we buried him two years ago. See how quickly that moves on? <clears throat> and many of you can, can, can testify to the same thing of parents and grandparents that have gone on. And the torch is now passed to you, to me. I'd just like to read a few verses there in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm sure you know these almost by heart. Chapter 6, verse 1, reading through verse 9. Now these are the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all the statutes and his commandments which I command thee, that thou and thy son and thy son's sons all the days of thy life, that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and all thy soul and all thy might. And these words which I commanded thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt walk and talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. What does that mean? What does that mean to you and me here tonight? That the precepts and the concepts and the things of the word of God are so important They should be so important that we teach them to our children and our grandchildren. 
as much as we can. And there's a few things that stand in the way for that here today. Things that we face. One thing is, we no longer live with our parents and our grandparents under the same roof like the Jewish nation did. Many times there were three and four generations under one roof. There was the older generation that was in their room, and then there was this generation, and then it was the children, and they were having babies in their room, and and on and on. But they lived in close proximity, and there was a tremendous amount of interaction between this generation and the one coming on. And values are so much easier to pass on when you live in close proximity. And most of us do not have that opportunity to live with our parents or our grandparents. Or even, I should say, our grandparents, let alone our parents. The most of us have raised our children away from our parents. And I think... Sometimes that can be good, but I think it has been to our detriment sometimes to pass the values on that our grandparents had in material things, even in little things, in work habits and eating habits and all and on and on. Just values that they had that we no longer have because we didn't live with them. You understand what I'm saying? And as we easily discard those values, we can easily discard some other things that we should not discard. Brother Ira Huber told me one time, he said, it is so sad we live in a throwaway generation and we just, we just throw away way more than we should. He was ta- not only talking about physical things, he was talking about spiritual values. He said, and it's this throwaway generation that we live in. We, we throw things away way too easily. And he was talking about biblical principles that we should be teaching diligently to our children. They, we should be writing them on the doorposts of our house. And we've forgotten them. <clears throat> It it was with great diligence that the Jewish fathers instilled the values and principles into their young children, line upon line upon line upon line, because they knew. They knew. In order to to maintain these, these statutes and these commandments, and these things that the God of my Almighty from heaven had given them these principles and these commandments, they knew that if it was going to live beyond them, it would have to take root in their children and in their grandchildren. Has that ever gripped us like that? It should. It should grip us like that. And also, if you go on over to Leviticus and other places, God has laid down some pretty hard lines that if a son, if a son rose up and, and rebelled against his father and struck his father, that the congregation was to take him out and stone him. 
A rebel was not allowed to live in the congregation of the Almighty. What? If you knew that if your son rebelled against you one day, you would need to take him out and stone him, you would be so diligent from the time that little boy could say squeak to get it in him, to make sure he understood and he got it right. Because if he doesn't get it right, we're going to have to take away his life. Wow. I'm glad there's grace. But it would put the fear of God in the Father's hearts tonight if, we, if that was a reality. And it was for them. <clears throat> okay, what about? I've heard Brother Danny say that a, a, a young Jewish man, young man, by the time he was 12 years old, was expected to be able to execute his father's business in his father's absence at 12 years old. In other words, they, most of them had a small family business, and if dad was gone and a customer came, the 12-year-old son could execute the business just as good as his dad could at 12 years old. Pretty amazing. If you want your son to know how to do your business and to make sure that he does it right, you're not going to wait till nine or ten to even start. You know, you're going to start pretty early. <clears throat> this value of the Jewish family. <clears throat> And sometimes I think we, we kind of look down our noses at the Jews because they didn't, you know, somehow they did not connect with the Messiah when he came and they're still looking for him. And, and the Jewish world did get some things wrong, but they had so much wisdom that came from them being involved somehow when God brought the law down there on Mount Sinai. There was just something, something that they gained there. And I think we do well to sit up and listen to some of that. They have so many family values, work ethics, on and on and on. In the, uh, in the Jewish culture, there is not a word for adolescence. Did you know that? There are no adolescents. Adolescence is a is a term that we use for a, a young boy that he's not grown up, he's not really worth much yet, but he's not a baby, but he's an adolescence. The Jews didn't know what that was. There were no adolescents. There's no word for it in their language. Neither is there a word for retirement. There was no such thing as well, I'm 65 now. I get to retire. How you like that? I got lots of money. I don't have to work. It's a concept totally foreign to the Jewish culture. They didn't know what that was. They were working alongside with their sons and their grandchildren. 
They worked as long as they could work. And I think that's the concept that that the the Western American people have kind of adapted. That you know, when we get this old, we get to kind of just sit back and I worked hard. You know, I deserve a little rest here. You know. But getting off my subject, family is so important. Family, if we don't write our values on our children's hearts, they're going to get lost, period. And one of those things is hard work. I think... I I do believe that was one of the values that the Jews were trying to pass on to their next generations that, that, look, God has put us here to to earn our our bread by the sweat of our brow. And I'm sure there are Jewish people that have missed the mark and there's some that have turned out not so good. But for the most part, if you meet a Jewish person, most of them are more well-to-do than the average American person. And it's simply because of those work ethics and their, and their concept of money and their concept of value and some of those things that have been passed down from one generation to the next. <clears throat> and we do great, we do a great disservice to our family if we do not pass those values on to our children. There seems to be a destruction of the family in our land. There's a thought, has been around for a long time, that family is just uh, kind of a... Not something that you even want to uh, value too highly. With the same-sex marriages and the yeah, our culture around us, I guess is what I'm saying, is that they're they're out to destroy the uh, the authentic family. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And as much as they are out to destroy it, we should be here building it up, brothers and sisters. We should be teaching those things to our little children. It is not an accident that we buy you little girls dolls for you to hold and you can become little mommies and you can make your little babies cry and you can change their diapers and you can nurture them on, right? That's not just a fun thing. That is teaching you how to be a mother one day. Amen? And that's why we give our little boys hammers and saws and tractors and combines to go over the carpet and combine. We don't give them Star Wars junk and stuff like that and and useless little toys. We give them toys that get their little brain turning that one day I can combine a field of corn, right? That's not by accident. That needs to be that way. Training our children and our family and holding our family together in those values is a tremendous asset that we have against this onslaught 
that is coming at us from every angle, that family can be more than one wife, can be more than one dad, can be such deplorable situations we don't even want to talk about it. But our family is under attack from every angle and the devil is behind the whole thing. But we are here to build up our family. Next thing that we need is friends. We need fellowship. We need each other, dear brothers and sisters. We need close friendship. We need people that we can trust with our troubles. We need brothers and sisters that we can, we can trust when we, have, when we have a heartache or when we have joy, when we have blessing. We can rejoice with them and we can hurt with them. We need that. If you have close friends and fellowship of people that you trust, you can share your heart with, you can share your burdens with, you can become fellows in a ship, then you have something that the world don't have when they have 10,000 friends on Facebook, but they don't have anybody that they can sit down and have a good heart-to-heart talk with and get over their problems with, and conquer their their hard things with. They don't have that. But unless we value that and we maintain that, we're going to lose it. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a thousand friends on Facebook, but I'm saying that one bosom friend that you can sit down and weep your heart out with or rejoice with is worth 10,000 times more than friends in the cyber world that you don't even know. Let's maintain our friendships, our fellowship, our, our closeness. <clears throat> we need to go out of the way to make room for our friends. On top of that, we need to choose our friends really, really carefully because we become like those that we are close to. You ever notice that? If we associate too closely with those that have loose values and then they kind of somehow erode off on us. But if you have friends that you can trust, you have friends that you can become really close to that you know will help you on your godly path, those are the kind that you can really have. And and really, they're a blessing. And we got to have that. We are not an island to ourselves. We are not just by ourselves. We, we can't be. This thing of, yeah, Jesus and I, we have it all figured out. You know, I don't need you. And who are you to say? It's not going to come out right, dear brothers. If there's a disagreement between two, then we should have the attitude that, well, I don't understand, but would you help me understand that? There must be something there that I don't see. I want to see that. Because I love you enough and I trust you enough that if, 
If you see something, then surely there's something there that I'm missing, and i got to see that. But oh, dear brothers and sisters, when we get this idea that I don't need you, I, don't, I can do I can do my life just fine without you. I don't need that friend. It's not going to come out right. And that's not what we want to teach our family. We want our children to know that it is just a ball to go have a, a, a neighborhood gathering and get together and chatter and share our lives together. Our children should, should think that that's the most enjoyable thing we have to do. Because we are teaching them how to relate to their peers when they get older. <clears throat> Friends, fellowship, so important. If we don't have that, we may not make it in 2021. <clears throat> The other thing that we need is finances. And I know that this is kind of an awkward subject to talk about. But it's God's idea. You know that? Silver and gold was not man's idea. That was God's idea. And it is important. How we control it. He has given it to us as a gift. And if we do not control it, it controls us. I've read one time somewhere, it's better to tell your money where to go than to wonder where it went. You should be in control of your money. It's not just yours to waste. It's a gift from God. It's not yours to even throw away. It's a gift from God. You have been given this talent, and he's coming back one day and will seek an account of what you did with it. The world has us trying to believe that all we have to do is just earn a lot more and we get to spend more. If we just had more money, we could spend more. You follow that line of thinking? When you open your mailbox and you get all these flyers of all the things that they want you to give them your dollars so that you can have their stuff. Okay? And advertisements all around and And sometimes, you know, there's things that we definitely need. And it's okay to go to Menards and buy what you need or Walmart or whatever. I'm not against that. But we need to go with a plan and be in control. You know, there's something about the desires of our heart. We have to be careful and guard those desires of our heart. You know, sometimes there's something that we just have to have in Walmart. And you know why I have to have it? Because you got it. I saw Larry had it. I got to have one of those. Huh? So our needs are, should be real needs and not, should not be covetous 
things that just get triggered when I see my brother has a new hammer, so now I have to have a new hammer, huh? That just isn't going to come out right. Credit cards and superstores have racked up piles and piles and piles of consumer debt all around us. And we're not exempt of that. We go to those places to buy things we need. Some people don't like to bother with a shopping list. That's old-fashioned. Oh, that's old-fashioned. You just go in there and buy what you need. But if you're not careful, you will come out with lots of things that you really didn't even know you needed until you saw it on the shelf. Oh, wow. Got to have it. Maybe you don't do that, but I've done that. Let's be careful with those things. God has given us finances as a gift to help us to survive in this time. It's a gift from him. Maybe we should ask him before we Say, well, I see, I'd like to have one. I'll go ask my daddy, see if I can have it. Be good to go home and sleep over it anyhow, once or twice. But you know, with the pandemic and our computer and online shopping and credit cards, and online shopping is, has been highly encouraged in the last year, can you imagine how many people now have less dollars and more junk because of more online shopping in the last year? Because you just sit there and you doodle on your computer and say, oh, I like that, I like that. Okay, put it in my cart, put it in my cart. You don't even have to, you don't even have to open your billfold and pull $20 bills out that you made, you worked hard for, if you were to, if you have a habit of buying things you don't need, try this once. Cash your money and put it into real bills. Okay? Same dollar, dollar for dollar. You can take it out of your bank account and make $20 bills or $100 bills. And then when you go spend that, you hand them over. Give them to the cashier, and it hurts. That hurts way more than it does if you just slip the plastic card in that little thing and and put the chip up in there and it's gone. you never seen it. But if you have to open your wallet and you count out them $20 bills that you spent a whole hour earning, ah, you want four of them? I work four hours for that. See what I'm saying? I think if we, the credit card thing is a nice thing and they're easy and they're handy, but it's a trap of the devil to get us to buy things that we don't need with money we don't have. And that's not going to come out good for our families. It's not going to come out good for the next generation. And woe to the next generation. Just beware of that. If you find yourself buying things you don't need, Try that trick to take cash with you and actually look at them $20 bills as you hand them over the counter. 
It'll do something for you. The other thing is cyber fraud. How many passwords do you have? How many passwords? You just just make a rough, and you don't have to say it, but I'll say what I, how many I have right here. The other night, I, I, I just was going over my, my virus protection thing I have on my computer, and there's a way you can uh, check up on your passwords. I have 93 of them. 93 passwords. And I'm like, for what? 93 passwords floating around in the cyber world for, for thieves to get a hold of and get into my accounts. 93 of them. Okay, so you try to delete them and you got to go to the company's website and it is next to impossible to get that password back or to close that account. And everybody, every time you buy something online, they want you to set up an account and they need your password and they want your bank account and they want your card number and you just give it to them. Well, now that thing is hanging out there and who in the world knows who has, else has? No wonder cyber fraud is as high as it is out there in the cyber world and the sharks are getting the money like crazy. Well, so I went in there and I, I spent about an hour trying changing my passwords and trying to eliminate. And I, I got about halfway through and I need to finish it, but I got to get my passwords under control. I got too many and they're too simple. And then I discovered that I had like 17 places that I had used the same password because I, I can't remember good. So I have to have real simple ones I can remember. Duh. The most stupid thing you can do with their passwords. Don't do it. I'm just saying, those are the things that we fall into, the traps we fall into with this fast, easy credit card thing. <clears throat> Impulse buying, it's, it's just not good. It's just not good. <clears throat> I remember one time... Uh, I just love Oira Huber. He's a good old friend of mine. He said, I went to Walmart twice, and I did it both in the same trip. First time, last time. He said, I saw 10,000 things in there that I didn't need, and I ain't going back. I am not going back, ever. For those of you who happen to know Oira Huber, that's, you understand. <clears throat> Such a blessed friend. I, I miss him today to this day yet. He used to come over to the shop there and we had a lot of good times together. <clears throat> Have a financial plan and stick to it. It's not wrong to borrow money, it's not wrong to build a house, it's not wrong to, to do a business. But make a plan, write it down, stick with it as close as you can. <clears throat> having our finances in order doesn't mean we have more money than anyone else. That's not what that means. Having your finances in order doesn't mean that you have just out-earned your spending habits. That's not having your finances in order. 
Having your finances in order means that you are in control of them. You're on top of them and they don't control you. You control them. That's the way God intended it to be. And it also means that we're deeply thankful for everything that God has given us. The last thing that uh, I want to touch on is fitness. Oh, you're saying, now you're meddling. God has given us a tremendous gift when he gave us our bodies. And according to my Bible, it says that all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. And also that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. He wants to live within us. And I'm not saying that God's spirit does not live in a sickly body. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that God has given us bodies that were designed to work and to function smoothly if we read the manual. We don't put bad gas in a good car. If you put bad gas in a good car, you won't have a good car real long. Well, our bodies are the same way. We cannot survive on junk food and lack of exercise and lack of oxygen and expect ourselves to be healthy for real long. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, he said, For bodily exercises profit a little. But it's a little. It does help if you're able to make that 100-yard dash if the house is on fire. And if you, th- if you think you're really fit and you're okay, try that once. Measure off 100 yards and run as hard as you can for 100 yards and see if it don't kill you almost. I don't, I I can't do it right now. I used to could. But I think God designed our bodies in such a way that we should have the capacity, had the need arise, that we we could do something quickly very strenuous. And if we can't, maybe we should practice, then we can. can you swim good enough to save someone that is drowning in the water can you can you really I used to could I think I could have I hope I'm never asked to Our personal fitness doesn't mean that you just, you know, well, we just need to lose a lot of weight or whatever or whatever. And I know sometimes our bodies are in certain circumstances where we are not well, and that is okay. But when we, are, when we can work and we are well, uh, if we do not, whatever we don't use, eventually we will lose. I know that for an absolute fact. <clears throat> But I do also know that after you lose it, you can gain it back. If you work hard enough at it, you can gain it back. Unless you've had the COVID-19 too hard. 
<clears throat> I have never, ever, have I had the the weakness and the and the um, it feels like grit in my muscles like I have since I've had the virus. I don't know what it is. I've tried to work it out. I've tried to drive it out. And it's just, I can barely put something heavy over my head. I don't know. And I blame it on on the after effects of the virus. Maybe I'm just getting lazy. (laughs) I blame it on that. I don't know. That's what some of the guys thought at work, but. There, it is something, and that is a real thing. And it's the same thing if you have other crippling diseases or whatever. But for the most of us, most of us are bodily able to move and function in a normal way. And I think it would bring it brings honor and glory to God if our bodies are kept under subjection. Let me just put it that way. <clears throat> I used to think that an office job was one of the best things that you could ever acquire. You know, you wouldn't have to work so hard. You could just sit in the office and you could have a good day. And, and after quite a number of years of that, I, just, I discovered that I was going downhill fast. And to work on the construction crew for the last seven years has been one of the best things that have happened to me physically. and probably financially as well. But I'm saying that our bodies are designed to operate, and God has made them that way. Let's keep them that way as much as we can. And let's uh, not be so hard on those that cannot. I don't think it's it's a salvation issue, but I think it's a life issue. If you want to live to see your grandchildren... And then uh, you probably want to run a little bit every now and then and watch what you, what kind of gas you put in the engine. <clears throat> in conclusion, I, would, I wish us all a healthy, prosperous year ahead of us, full of faith, full of life, with good families. What I hope for all of us. Um, some of us may not may not have that, but that's my my hope for each of us that we can uh, enjoy life another year here, and that we can uh, <clears throat> prosper as God so sees fit, and that we can be a blessing to the rest of the world around us, and that we can shine forth as a city that is set on a hill. We are here to bring honor and glory to, those, to, to God that created us, that made us, that give us all gifts, all things richly to enjoy and to share. Let's take care of those things. Let's honor him with it and rejoice and be thankful for everything we have. May God bless you.